They talking all of this madness, talking all of this madness, talking all of this madness. They talking all of they talking all of they talking all of this madness. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Matt Madness Wrestling Podcast. I am Ron Pashery. I am here with my good friends, Ek Two Fly, Eric Trembicki, Mr. Wednesday Night Live, the voice that runs the place, the European champion, Alo Aaron Lloyd. We are bringing to you Throwback Madness, The Road to WrestleMania. This edition we will be reviewing. I guess this is kind of the official night that the Attitude Era technically started. WrestleMania 14. Eck, I believe this was your choice. Yes, it was. Did you have any specific reason why you chose this one? Uh, it's kind of an opening the door, closing the door page, uh, closing the door on Shawn Michaels and... Not that Sean, uh, not that Stone Cold wasn't red hot going into this show, but you know he, he had a he took the title and he went running with it. Oh, he definitely ran with it after that night. Um, that was the main event: Shawn Michaels against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, this show was coming live from Boston at the Fleet Center. Brought to you by Eminem's The Candy <laughs> for a new millennium, which I thought was funny. It was 1998. They're already. Billing themselves as the candy for the new millennium. Well, the world was was supposed to be over. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) The world was going to be over, you know, in a year and a half. (laughs) So I guess they had to try to get it in while they could. Uh, I thought this was another great example of an opening vignette. The whole thing with, you know, this is the tradition being taken over by a bunch of degenerates like the Generation X and anti-hero like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, Alo, I know you always like... Tradition is basically the slogan was. Yeah. I know you always like the the promo, the opening. Yeah. You like this one? Yeah, it was good. Um, what are your thoughts on this show? Um, I had fun with it. It wasn't a great show, but I don't mind having fun with something. Um, I'll I'll give you the rating system. If it's a horrible mm-hmm. show, it's a jobber. Fall somewhere in the middle, it's a slobber knocker. If it's an awesome show, it's a showstopper. I'm going to give it a plain slobber knocker, but I did have a lot of fun with this show. <laughs> you know, it, I say, I, I'd say all the time, bad wrestling's good wrestling, but... Yeah. There were things that were bad that I just laughed at, but I, I had fun with it, so I did enjoy it. But it was still fell somewhere in the middle for me. Mm-hmm. I give it a slobber knocker as well. Eck? I'm definitely going to go with a slobber knocker as well. I, you know, I almost wish I could have given it a little higher just because I've been watching a few of the shows surrounding that era. I've actually caught a little bit of uh, WrestleMania 15 the year after. <laughs> I, I think, you know, obviously from the early opening card, 14 trumps 15 easily. So, yeah, d- definitely a slobber knocker. I wish I could have gave it a little higher, though. Yeah, was either one of you, was this better or worse than you remembered it? Um, Well, going back, because I haven't watched it in entirety in a long time, but going back, we'll get to this later, too, but going back and comparing this match, and after you've learned the stories about what Shawn Michaels mm-hmm. went through leading up to this match, you kind of appreciate it even more. Mm-hmm. So just those stories actually enhance the show for me. Yeah. Eck, better or worse than you remembered? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I watched this show back uh, within the last year, and it's one of those things, I even just from watching it within the last year, I still think I like it a little more every time. It's one of those things where you'll hear Alston and Sean both say in countless interviews, that they've had better matches. They've put on house show matches that no one will ever see that are leaps and bounds better mm-hmm. than what they did in the main event there. However, it is one of the very few times you can go back and watch two of the greatest 
in-ring performer, or two of the greatest wrestlers of all time, two of the greatest WWF superstars of all time, uh, my one and two, or my Mount Rushmore in a one-on-one -on -one stage <laughs> match is for the title. I, you know, there are some things, you know, Sean's hurt in the match, so when you know that and watching the match back, you really can't hate it. I, I agree. I, I think this is a very important show uh, in the history of WWF slash WWE. I, like we said, this is like the changing over of into the Attitude Era, which, I, as we all know, is the most successful era they ever had. Uh, the show opened with the, what was it, a 15 team 15 battle royal? 15 team battle royal uh, with the stipulation that if one, one member is eliminated from the team, both members must exit the ring. Right. We had Farouk and Kama open the show coming out representing the nation. Uh, we had the Legion of Doom making it. 2000. Was this their return? Were yeah. they LOD 2000 yet? No, this is the first time they came LOD 2000. Okay, with Sonny. I mean, they call it their return, but they were on every show that year. Okay. Well, they had somewhat broken up. It's like, we, have a, we never told my Santa together again. Nah. <laughs> this whole falling out. But I got to say real quick, uh -huh. Sonny is the definition of throwback madness. Yeah, she is. Because she was looking good <laughs> Yeah, and now not so much. Yeah, I, I had to rewind the entrance a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was good. She was good with those two. Like I vividly remember that. It didn't last long, but <laughs> yeah, but it, it like stood out. Uh, we had the Godwins, Midnight Express, DOA. We had two teams from the Bariquas, Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown. The Headbangers. Who else? Who am I forgetting? Uh, the, NWA you said the Godwins, right? But yeah. it's just uh, Bart. And Bob, Bob Holly, they were in there. Um, yeah, I got nine out of fifty. Well, they didn't introduce them. Introduce them all. No, yeah, they they yeah, everyone was around the ring like lumberjacks. The only entrance you saw was Farouk and Kama, and then LOD two thousand. Mm -hmm. um, eight minute match. Alo, is this one of the things you would say you had fun with? Yes. <laughs> Cause I, I just I couldn't I couldn't stop laughing at LOD's XL, XFL pads. <laughs> <laughs> And every time I saw Jim, Jim Cornette, I just thought about you. How much I hate him? <laughs> yeah. I want to knock him out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I thought of, I, I didn't think about me every time I saw him, but I did think you about how much I'd love to punch him in the jaw every time I saw him. Um, Eck, did you find this to be a fun match, a fun opener? Yeah, I mean, I, you, you know me, I've been saying this since our first episode. I, I'm a fan of a battle royal. Um, the whole one member being eliminated, eliminates the whole team, not a big fan of that per se, but... Uh, it was a good match. You know, it's one of those things, looking back, just like Alo said, having fun with the show, there's some things, like, looking at Bradshaw's original character, you know, before the APA, before JBL. Um, before Mago. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he, he's feuding with the NWA during that uh, time period, and um, Barry Windham runs out, eliminates his partner just to get under his skin, because eliminating his partner eliminates mm -hmm. him. So it's just one of those things that lower mid-card, some storylines you, you don't think about that's kind of like you know a little jab at your memory. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was fun. One of my big takeaways from it was right when this match ended, I saw a Cartman 316 sign. <laughs> which that was South Park at that. People might forget about that, but that was like the a height. huge that, that thing was, Yeah, the, the at outlaws that time. always was wearing their shirts. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of good signs actually during this show. There's one that I'll bring up later on in a match. That was the first thing I saw. And there were points when they were actually showing all the signs in the crowd. Like, they actually encouraged that yeah. at that time. Now they don't. They don't, Not, don't even see any signs in the crowd no, anymore. Yeah, they do everything they can to keep signs out of there. 
I got one more thing. I mm-hmm. popped. This is a thing throughout the next match, too, but I popped because when King says, hey, look, Brian Christopher's still in the match. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's he mentioned Brian Christopher again later. Yeah, in, yeah, in, a, in the next match. <laughs> um, Legion of Doom won. Uh, did they? Lines. Yeah. Did, yes. Did they earn a title shot yeah. with this? Next that's month. What I, believe I, I don't forgive him. For. Okay. I don't yeah, forgive that. Him. I didn't remember. They, they didn't. Well, they kind of. They won the match, but the but I think all four shoulders were down, so it all automatically re- retained for the New Age Outlaws the next month. I don't right. forgive him. Um. Light heavyweight championship. Eck, I believe you've been pointing out all over social media about the red strap. The Universal Title Match? Yeah. <laughs> the original Universal Title Match. Takamichi Noku, who was the current light heavyweight champion against Aguila. Wasn't that S.A. Rios? I think so, I yeah. believe that's S.A. Rios. He was also known as Mr. Aguila at one time. In Papi Chulo. He was only 19 mm-hmm. during the match. 19. Young dude. Uh, very quick, short match. Uh, yeah, this was when... King made a comment oh, about Brian Christopher the whole match. them both at the uh, same time. <laughs> Lawler had a great uh, comment right in the beginning. Uh, if I was Aguila, I would make like Taco Bell and head for the board. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, he was like really in his prime then. He was so good. Well, yeah, that's another proof that heels don't wear undershirts. <laughs> he needs to get away. Well, obviously he's too old to be doing um, what he's doing now with the t-shirt. But yeah, you don't think there. he should be wearing the Affliction t-shirts? I mean, it is what it is, but he was, you know, he was a perfect heel going out there with all, you mm-hmm. know, the chest hair and then the uh, blazer jacket yeah. with all the frills on it. Agreed. Uh, this match ended with a Michinoku driver, as you would assume. <laughs> I did not have the same problems with the Michinoku driver back then as I do now. Well, it actually looks better when Taka does it because you don't really fall on your neck. What I like, so this was a short match, which makes you think they didn't really give, they didn't really care too much about these guys, but. Crowd-wise, they were actually there were points they were really into this match. Yeah, like I mean, when he when he was calling for the Michinoku driver at one point, and the crowd popped for it. I was like, oh, he, he maybe he was a little more over than I remembered. It's kind of like how we talk on our weekly reviews about the cruiserweight division not having some of those high spots mm-hmm. that were uh, very over. Uh, you know, they started with a moonsault from the top rope to the outside of the ring. Yeah. It, yeah, there there was a, a bunch of stuff where yeah. they they went over the top rope. Yeah, and they made you ca- and they made you careful a little bit. Take notes, Cruiserweight Division. Yeah. So, obviously this was not the match of the night, but for the six minutes they got, I thought they did a good job. <laughs> One more thing. Mm-hmm. After the match, King says, I think Brian Christopher kicked out of Mission Open Driver. <laughs> <laughs> he was not uh, too sexy yet. No. How much longer was he? His gear said too sexy. Did it? Yeah, yeah, he was too sexy, but um, I don't think it became too cool to maybe... Hmm, can I know... Were they too sexy before first before they were too cool? Were they even together right then? I don't know if uh, I know Brian Chris was. I think they were going by too Scotty sexy too for a long time. Partner. No, he wasn't. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I know the next year sometime they become too cool. Um, high point for both of those guys, obviously, when they finally did make that tag team, and they were a lot of fun. Um, look back on those guys fondly. Wouldn't have minded seeing a worm at some point on this show, but I don't think that I don't know if that was happening yet. Um, Taka Michinoku, as I said, retains. We go into a segment. There was not a lot of backstage no, not really. stuff. Less than any other throwback madness we've done. The only thing that I remember backstage was the Rock had the interview with Jennifer Flowers, which is weird. You guys I know were probably too young to really even know what was going on, but a guy that 
Our president had a an affair with at some point. He she was w- famous for that. He was up all night. <laughs> yeah, well, he was always up all night, I think. Uh, weird segment. This was still like kind of the early stages of The Rock being The Rock. Um, I didn't come around to liking him just yet. I don't think I came around to liking him until closer to the summertime. He had, um, you know, the month prior, just, I was just watching it, the No Way Out. He had, uh, it, it was a lot of that dissension with the nation of domination, but he had a phenomenal promo where, you know, he was pretty much mocking everything Farouk said and then, you know, making yeah. some sexual gestures mm-hmm. to, the, uh, to the interviewer. Yeah, there was a lot of heat between himself and Farouk at this point in time. The Rock obviously was just sort of starting to get a lot of build behind him, and, uh, like I said, he was just starting to become the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. Um, A-Law, I know this is probably a high point of the night for you. European Championship match, Triple H with China, defending against Owen Hart. Uh, it's a good match. They actually got a little bit of time. They got 12 minutes. Um, I forgot about the, the the band actually playing the, the music live, which was awesome. Um that's like one of the iconic things. Yeah. Like I feel like was that happening at yeah. WrestleMania? Um, China, because she had been known for interfering in every one of Triple H's matches, had to be handcuffed to General Manager Sergeant Slaughter. Um, she did not play much of a factor in most of the match, but she did at the end of the match. Yeah. Uh, Alo, your thoughts on this installment from Triple H? Well, I just want to thank him for. <laughs> Making a European title so prestigious <laughs> for myself, and I'm playing to carry on the friend. legacy. <laughs> Me and my best friend carry on the legacy of the European title. Exactly. The DX band, uh, let's say you, that that moment, that band is always monumental with that show. You always remember that, and you know we how we love Fink, but you love Intercontinental, but I just love what he would say, Hunter Hurst. <laughs> I, I, I love. That was my second favorite thing he would always say. <laughs> The, the chin off between China and Slaughter, <laughs> so good. Well, um, I think the match was good. It was a good match, but I think that Triple H and Owen were overshadowed by China mm-hmm. because China was like the main thing. Even the camera that kept cutting. Cam- camera went to her yeah, more yeah. than it was the match. Exactly, China was always in the camera shot because she's the most important thing. And um, it's the same thing with it. They take they're kind of taking notes with this because they're doing the true Jericho like they did mm-hmm. China. Because exactly ne- what I was gonna say. Yeah, because the next <laughs> night, the next month at Unforgiven, China's in a shark cage. Yeah. And Slaughter, it made me... They locked her in, man. They locked her in, man. <laughs> well, Slaughter was basically worthless in this match because he he he, called, he handcuffed himself to China, and China still gets involved when Owen has the match one the sharpshooter, pulls Triple H towards the rope, and Slaughter does nothing. So he him handcuffed, he just went along for the ride, basically, exactly. in this match, which made, no, which made no sense. Yeah, she pulled him to the rope. She ultimately throws the powder in Slaughter's eyes and then hits the low blow on Owen as everybody's waiting for it to happen anytime China's yeah, around. Yeah, and it pop. Mm-hmm. Defying authority will get you a pop. It, yeah. Take notes, WWE. Mm-hmm. Take notes from your own product <laughs> 19 years ago. Yeah, learn lessons from yourself. Exactly. Beck, your thoughts on this match? Good match. I mean, just like Alo said, um, not, nothing really to complain about. Nothing necessarily memorable at the same time. Uh, kind of lower card matches like this is kind of what kept it as just a... Um, you, you know, not a just a slobber knocker, mm-hmm. not a showstopper. 
Uh, nothing really to elevate Triple H higher than he was. Um, JR and King did a great job, you know, pointing out that both these guys are former Intercontinental Champions and they're trying to put over the Euro title. Either way, good match. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a good match. Like you said, you got the interference from China that you expected. She threw around Slaughter a little bit after the match. <laughs> she destroyed him. <laughs> the woman a barricade. Harry, yeah. She destroyed him. And Owen was... What do you have? I guess about a year left, really. Mm-hmm. If not... A little over a year. It was a, a little year, over? A year, no, a year and a month. Because he passed away in May. I believe it was in April. So yeah. It was about a year and a month. Because right after this came on, WrestleMania 15 started, and that was probably in March, so he probably had a month and a half left. Yeah, that's crazy to think about that. Like, he... That's a guy who unfortunately never got really to the heights he probably could have. And I loved the Blue Blazer when he was doing that. I would have loved to have seen where that was ultimately going to go. Um... Well, I don't know what either of you think of this, but Marvelous Mark Marrow (laughs) and Sable against Goldust. Well, the artist formerly known as Goldust. Darth Maul? Yeah. (laughs) Because during during the preview, they even showed Goldust back in his ring attire. Goldust. So I was actually looking forward to it because I was just watching two months of Mm pay-per-views. I'm like, all right, Rumble, he's dressed like a weirdo. No way I was dressed like a weirdo that I'm seeing in the vignette. Oh, cool. You know, we're going to actually get a real Goldust, but... No, we still it was not to, to be. Yeah, because I watched because um, I watched this without like I was like before previously before we did the show. I, I watched it. I would fast forward and would see the artist formerly known as Goldust, but they didn't tell us why he became the artist for, formerly known as Goldust. Right. It's like like this Darth Maul out there right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of Darth Maul. Sort of looked like Kane. Like just yeah, just an odd. I forgot about the that. Man. Yeah. What? <laughs> the one thing man. that got one thing I popped for. I found it funny in a mixed tag they had to combine weights. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you guys picked up on that. I did not. <laughs> I laughed so hard. Coming in at a combined weight <laughs> of like 369 pounds. <laughs> I laughed so hard. I didn't notice that at all. I didn't notice that. The first thing I did notice is when they get into the ring and there's an RVD, a big white and red RVD sign right in the crowd. Yeah, I didn't notice that either. That was one of the first things. That was a pop for You know, it, um... It's not even. It wasn't the year forward where they were in Philly, but it just showed you how early ECW was over. Oh yeah, like that was infiltrating for a while before they actually bought ECW and ECW came in. It just, that was the thing that um that truly is what changed the face of wrestling was ECW. Mm-hmm. So RVD signs aside, what what is it? What do you guys think of this match? Anything? Even worthy of really talking about? Too uh, long. <laughs> it, you know, is it a little weird to me that Triple H or that Brock Lesnar's finishing move is a little similar to Mark Maris? It is I, weird. I think Sable uh, spotted that. That's probably what made her fall for Brock. Maybe. It's all in the finishing. <laughs> That's all it takes. He's a good finisher. You know, and like throughout this match. Sable was so over, and mm-hmm. every time I see Sable, I can't. I always go think about the Jr. Jr. and Russo say this almost every time they talk about a w- Sable. Yeah. How um when they interviewed Sable and Marrow and they hired Marrow, they got the wrong Marrow. They think they said they, we hired the wrong Marrow. We should have hired <laughs> Sable. Right. So every time I see Sable, I always think about that because she was so over. Uh, she was, and yeah, the crowd was going absolutely insane for her the entire night. She ultimately hit the, uh, she had the Sable Bomb and the TKO on Lana, or on Luna, to ultimately get the victory, uh, as everybody kind of knew. Um, King, of course, going nuts 
Mm-hmm. As you should. Yeah. <laughs> I was a young F2 fly going nuts. So, were you, um, did you think this was better now than you did when you were a young Egg 2 flyer? Do you think it was better as a young Egg 2 flyer? It was better, then? yeah. <laughs> Without Now, we had, what was, who was it, Tennessee Lee or what? Yeah, Tennessee Lee. Introducing Jennifer Flowers and Double J. The biggest draw in wrestling history, yep. Double J. Double J. You know, nobody knew what he was going to turn into ultimately <laughs> uh, in his later He's still years. Nothing. <laughs> Uh, one thing I noticed, WWF really was going after the South at that point in time. They had no tolerance for anything from the South. That's actually probably where some of my views on the South came from, <laughs> was watching WWF. It's funny, a lot of, I think a lot of viewpoints, I think any of us has, as a younger lad watching WWE or WWF, a lot of our views probably did come from <laughs> what they were doing. I would absolutely say so. Uh, they led into... The world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, challenging The Rock for the Intercontinental Championship. This match was definitely not too long. No. This was over in like less than five minutes. Yeah, because I, I don't really have anything much to say about this match. Uh, what I had to say about it, just Shamrock always had like so much intensity. Yeah. Um, he was so much better of a wrestler than I think people remember. Yeah. Like he was actually really good in the ring. Yeah, well, he couldn't talk. Mm-mm. So that, that was the one thing, but he was ahead of his time. Yeah, well, you, him not being able to talk almost didn't matter because what he was known for was like, is he going to snap? Is he mm-hmm. going to snap? And that was a thing. He had like the crazy eyes and uh, always losing his mind. Yeah, and the match was more about um, the rock, the dissension of the nation between Rock and Farouk because mm-hmm. Farouk was out there. So that, that's what a lot of this match was about, basically. Yeah. But, but Shamrock snapping, that was awesome. Because mm-hmm. I remember... The, I don't remember Shamrock holding that edition of the Intercontinental. I was like, huh, Shamrock won this match? I was like, I don't remember that. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, he got the decision guy reversed. Because he just destroyed him. Yeah, he kept destroying the Rock. Yeah, he took out the whole nation. Yeah. He kept Rock in the ankle lock. Fruit came out and basically turned his back on the Rock. The officials came out and he took out all the officials and they reversed the decision. And then he chased the Rock down, took him off the stretcher and beat him up some more before <laughs> finally leaving. Um, yeah, not a whole lot to talk about, but Eck, like, what, what are your feelings on Ken Shamrock? You know, it's funny, uh, after my, like, seven-year hiatus, not watching the product and rewatching it again, you know, I did a little research wondering what happened to him since, didn't know because I saw several people, like, Bret Hart came back to WWE, Mm -hmm. um, a bunch of different superstars came back from the past, and I was wondering, you know, is there anything ever there for him to come back? And that's something where you almost wonder, like... He was such a prominent role in the the Attitude Era. Like, will he ever be in the Hall of Fame? You know, he was a memorable Intercontinental Champion, at least for, as Halo was just pointing out, for when you think of the next style of the belt that yeah. came after, the one that Rock walked, uh, walked down the aisle with that night. Uh, but he had a lot of memorable matches. Uh, he was both a heel and a face. Uh, he was with the Corporation. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it, you know, he was definitely memorable. Um, he was always thought of as a threat. Now, I don't think he should have been a world champion, but when he had a match against whether it be Austin, whether it be Sean, uh, whoever he was in the ring with, you never know who was going to win. Or at least a young act to fly. Yeah, no, they like it was sold to you, the idea that he's the world's most dangerous man. He absolutely is a tough test mm-hmm. for any of those guys. Um yeah, I I liked him at the time. 
I think I like him even more now, like now that I know more and realizing how good he was. He actually trained in pro wrestling before he got into MMA, which I thought was interesting. But, um, Alo, do you think, could you see Ken Shamrock ever being a Hall of Famer? Huh. They don't even say his name anymore. No. That's, that, that's, one, that's one thing. Um, I would say, I wouldn't be shocked because Coco B. Ware's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> so, you know how WWE is. They, they have to dig up guys to put in this Hall of Fame sometimes. So, I wouldn't be shocked if he does get in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, never say never. Um, so, after that, very short, very quick match. It took us to the ad where they show all the different wrestlers saying, we are athletes, you think we're not athletes, Stone Cold saying, try lacing up my boots. Mm-hmm. Why don't they do anything like that anymore? I don't know. They only put on the DVDs. But who watches DVDs anymore? Nobody. And DVD only gets the don't try to set down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, I don't know, they did that. Like, I remember back when they had the Super Bowl commercial. Like, I feel like they, they were, like, trying a lot harder. Back then than they are now. No competition. Yeah, I guess they feel like now, they don't have to, but... There's no competition. <laughs> um, yeah, I used to always love those ads, though. Um, Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie. Trying to steal... Yeah, trying to steal the tag team titles from the New Age Outlaws in a dumpster match. Uh, there was some controversy that ultimately was yeah. surrounding this match. Yeah, I was really confused. Because I, <laughs> I saw Tim White waving it off, and I'm like, is he waving it off or he's calling for the bell? What's, but <laughs> clearly he's waving it off. And then the next, because me and Eric, I remember the first time me and you actually met, me and Eric yeah. were arguing at the bar yeah. about, about this match. Exactly. About the result. Yeah. He's I like, remember he's that. Like, Can I remember that? Like, yes, he did. He won at WrestleMania 14. But then he was like, <laughs> And then Eric the next day confirmed to me saying, "Oh no, that's probably what I watched this whole show." <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like the mat, that match kind of got thrown out the window. So the next day they had a steel cage match to determine the number one, determine the undisputed tag team champions. So that, that's when the Yellows will win, will win that match. I don't even think uh, Chainsaw Charlie and Cactus Jack got an entrance. Like they never, I don't even think they came out with the titles. No. So I don't think you'll ever, you don't even get to see Funk with the WWF tag title. Never see Cactus with a WWF belt. Yeah, and, and then two weeks later, he, Cactus would return to do love. <laughs> well, yeah, they, they win this match, quote-unquote, backstage. I actually really like this match. Well, my thing was, like, I haven't seen this match in a, in a while, mm-hmm. but you would see the highlights. Mm-hmm. But the highlights was re- were literally the whole match. Yeah. Because nothing really, like, every highlight was in this was the whole match. Because not much happened. Yeah, it was ten exactly ten minutes. Really? It was that long? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it was that long. But I think some of that is them... There are, like, some some slow spots where, like, you know, two of them are just in the dumpster and nothing's uh-huh. really happening. Or the time from them going to the ring to backstage probably took up two to three minutes by itself. The main spot, I guess, would probably just be uh, Billy and Foley going off the ladder into... Awesome spot. Yeah. Awesomely set up with Funk getting knocked back into the ladder, tipping it over. Um... My favorite moment from this match, though, is when Foley starts to turn the tides on the two of them. And then you just see, all of a sudden, Funk just comes out of nowhere, just on the forklift. <laughs> like, they had just been saying, like, oh, he may never get out of that dumpster. And then, boom, he's already back yeah. there. Like, completely unannounced. Um, they throw them into the backstage dumpsters, lock them in with the forklift. We all think, hey, we have new tag team champions. Unfortunately, we didn't. And then the New Age Outlaws won them back in a cage match the next mm-hmm. night, right? And that was the birth of the new DX. Yes, it was. Yeah. Another, like, turning point. Monumental. Yeah, huge moment. Um, 
After a pretty long build-up, we finally got the first meeting of Kane and The Undertaker. Uh, this was another it was a pretty long match, 17 minutes. Yeah. Um, two huge guys who, you know, two kind of both one-of-a-kind guys. Like, there are not many guys that size that can do what those two guys did. Uh, not many guys that size that have the longevity of those two guys. Oh, absolutely. Nobody does with that size. Um, another great vignette to lead into this match. Uh, showing kind of the whole story. I gotta, that's gotta be Kane! It's gotta be Kane! <laughs> One of my favorite uh, announced moments ever. Uh, now, Paul Bear called Kane his personal instrument of destruction. Didn't Vince call The Undertaker that mm-hmm. leading up to the Shane Helena set? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't never thought of it. And then I heard that. I was like, I'm pretty sure Vince said that to yeah. The Undertaker. Vince watches his own network. Yeah, so him. <laughs> yeah he does. Uh, we had Undertaker adamant that he will never fight his own flesh and blood. And then we got a lot of supernatural stuff with lightning all over the place, setting things on fire. Uh, we got Pete Rose coming out, <laughs> taking the tombstone. Pete Rose got himself a lot of heat. He got cheered yes, he when did. he came down. He got himself quite a bit of heat. And then he took the uh, the infamous tombstone. Pete Rose had a good run there. Yeah. Where he was just getting smoked every time he came out. Every time I see Pete Rose and Kane, I was flashback to the Dr. Shelby segment where, he, where Kane was telling his life story. He says he has an unexplainable obsession of torturing Pete Rose. That was classic. That was a good uh, oh, yeah. flashback. That it never gets old. Yeah. Uh, we actually thought the San Diego chicken was going to be Pete Rose when we saw it on WrestleMania 15 earlier. I don't think it was, though, was it? We didn't get that far. No, we left we after. Far, okay. Sure. So we don't know yet. Yeah. Um, we got the yeah we got the uh, Undertaker Druid entrance, which is always cool. Uh, Lawler trying to say that it was unfair that he had these people on his side. Um, I thought this match was great, though. I did, too. Did you think Kane was going to win? They booked it properly to make you think he would. Yeah, they made you feel like he was going to win. They made it seem like he was like unstoppable. Did well, you think he was going to win? I knew about the streak. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, back then as a, uh, a young lad, I think that was my second pay-per-view I watched. I, I did think Kane had his brother's, uh, you know, I thought he had his brother's number. He was going in, I think. If not undefeated, you know. As a little brother, you were thinking Kane was going to win. Oh, definitely. definitely. <laughs> um, well, my older brothers were rooting for Taker. Yeah. Well, what was he like? Six and zero, seven and zero at this point. Uh, I know he just beat Vader the week before or the month before. That was Kane. Kane. Kane, Kane beat Vader. Oh, we talking about Taker. 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 Was he at six or seven or he so was at, at this time? Seven and zero. Seven and zero. Yeah. Because and this was... made him eight, or this made no, him this made him seven and zero. Um. Yeah. I mean, my guess is they probably weren't even thinking about that. Did they even mention it? Yeah. I don't think they. Yeah, they didn't mention that for like four or five years from there. Yeah, I would say at best. No, no. After after WrestleMania, because he missed WrestleMania 2000, so I know WrestleMania 15. They mentioned that he's undefeated at WrestleMania, and then at, at WrestleMania 17, they mentioned it against Triple H after okay. the, after the match, and then after the Ric Flair thing, it became a constant thing. So they, it, it only took them. Nine years to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> what they had done. Uh, hey, we got something here. <laughs> we didn't mean to do it. We, we, go with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, the great spot with Taker diving through the announce table. That was beautiful. <laughs> that was great. Taker kicks out of a tombstone. 
Uh, he had a sloppy tombstone on Kane, the first one. Mm-hmm. He dropped him on his head. Um, Kane kicked out of his second tombstone, and it took three to finally beat him. Um, Kane even kind of kicked out of that one right after yeah, the three after count. Yeah, after the three count. Um, so they really did a good job of making both of them look unbelievably strong. Um, and they both, I think, did a phenomenal job. Paul Bear, as always, plays a nice little role. Comes out and attacks The Undertaker after the match. Undertaker knocks out Paul Bear. And then Kane just destroys The Undertaker afterwards. Um, this was one I think I appreciated a lot more watching this past week than I did when I watched it, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. Yeah. You you agree? Yeah. Because um, we... We 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 talk about how Raw's horrible. They do nothing, and the stories they're they're not good. But I remember last year in our early, one of our earlier earlier episodes, you mentioned to me, "Is this the greatest story that you've ever told?" And mm-hmm. watching just watching the video package, I agree because <laughs> that that whole story was awesome. Like um, how how Taker promised his parents he wouldn't fight Kane, and how Barrow was saying your brother's coming after you, and Taker was hell bent on not fighting his brother, and then Kane, him and Kane actually having an alliance at first. Well, not at first, but after a little while, mm-hmm. and then Kane turned on him at the Rumble, caused him the world title, and then that's that's when Taker snapped. Fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then like you said, um, the, the 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 um supernatural things, you how can you actually get that over? On television, actually buy it. Like mm-hmm. him burning the Undertaker, you could act, you would actually buy, it, and you were so invested into it. Just the story of a dead guy and a burnt guy. The <laughs> guy who survived with, the fire. Yeah, with supernatural things going on, and you could actually buy the story. Mm-hmm. This this was a great story that was actually told. I really popped after when Taker went through the table and the Spanish announce guy fell in slow motion off the chair. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. And think another thing is about this whole show. This show's kind of like we get, we gave it a slobbernock rating, but there thing the endings of these main matches you remember, like the you you remember Triple H in China China throwing the powder in the face of Slaughter, in the main event we'll get to that next. But you remember you always remember Taker giving Kane those three tombstones. Oh yeah. They don't show him kicking out. They just mm-hmm. show him giving three tombstones. But you will always remember it took three tombstones to beat Kane mm-hmm. in the first time, and it, you would think after the match, you would think Kane actually won the match because he's actually he actually left on top. Yeah. And Baron trying to beat up the Undertaker was so good. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> he tried to stop him out. Of the yeah. Uh, Eck. So where does this fall, like in the pecking order of matches on this card for you? I mean, overall, I would say it's a, if it's not the two best matches, I mean, it's it's in the top three. Like you, you were never the biggest Taker guy, right? It, it was one of those things I didn't. I don't want to say I wasn't big on him. You know, I respected him. He was always a threat. Um, he just, it was kind of one of those things that wasn't until he was older in his career where you really start to look back and think of everything he did. Um, there's always someone, I think, as a wrestling fan that you look back on when they're done and you're like, man, I wish I appreciated them mm-hmm. when they're in the ring. Um, but, you know, there was cl- countless amount of classic moments done by both The Undertaker and his little brother. Uh, it was a great match, and that year they had a great feud. I think what was their, their next match was the Inferno match. Yeah, was Unforgiven. Unforgiven, next month. Yeah, it was the next month. Okay. Yeah, now, do you... Um, so do, do you think that this was like the greatest story WWF slash WWE has ever told? Do you, do you have one better than Undertaker and Kane? Maybe a little biased, just because I'm a fan of such of them. Mm-hmm. I think even though with such... 
close friendship they have. I think on um, Triple H and Shawn Michaels might have been one of the greatest stories of all time. Um, Undertaker and Kane, I don't, I don't want to say it's not. Yeah, you know, it's definitely up there. Um, the great thing is there's two organic characters that whether they've had time in other industries early, early, early on in their career, you know, late 80s, at the same time, these these guys, that's unique characters that are, you think of them with the WWE and nothing else. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is a great storyline either way. Yeah, I kind of agree with Eric to an extent because this was probably the greatest story, but they told the story too many times. There were too many times Kane and Undertaker actually went back to each other. Like they'll be, be brothers, and then Kane would turn on him, and then they'll be brothers again, and then Kane would turn on him again. It was always Kane turning. Yeah, yeah, it went back. There were no, there wasn't any different elements to it. Now, see Triple H and Shawn. It was a great story, but it was only for maybe two year period. Well, let me see. Yeah, it's kind of ordinary. It was about four year period, but they went on and off. But you could always go back to each other. But that heat intensity was still there. It was. It wasn't the whole. Oh, you're going to be together, and they're going to turn each other again. It was never that. The Undertaker-Kane story, it went on t- a little too too much, too many times, compared to Triple H and Sean. Well, I think part of the, uh, and I'm glad, Eck, that you brought up the Triple H-HBK story, because everything that had to do with The Undertaker and Kane was, like, written, made-up story. Yeah. And most of what made Triple H and HBK interesting was what you knew about real life. Mm-hmm. Like, you knew that they were friends. You knew that HBK took him under his wing. Uh, they started the X together. Like, a lot of that stuff was... Triple H was really his prodigy. Triple H was really Sean's prodigy mm-hmm. until Sean was unable to compete. And that's when, you know, Triple H ran and did it on his own. And then it was, you know, okay, he's that good. Put them, to, put them back together. And for one of the most shocking moments of all time when, when Triple H turned on Sean. Yeah. I think that that like that's the difference though is that one was just all written fiction story, and the other one was like what made it interesting was just it was what you knew about those guys in real life. Um, but yeah, I thought this match was great. I thought this was one of the high points of the show. You mentioned the main event, uh, HBK battling injury, kind of probably took that match down a couple pegs from what it could have been. But I think this going on right before it. Like, that was a main event in and of itself. Of course. Anything, I think anything WrestleMania-esque with uh, Taker, except for maybe 19. They were all main events. <laughs> oh. You got something you want to say about that, Alo, before it's we move so on? Bad. Anything anybody else want to say about The Undertaker and Kane? I do. Um, this will probably be my match of the night. But, see, it's kind of hard because now that we know... What happened? What was going on? Well, we know what was going on with Sean. What we knew was going on with Sean enhances that match for me. Mm-hmm. But from a whole in ring perspective, I'll give this the match of the night. But the Sean, I think if, Austin yeah, match. You know, you know the condition Sean's in. I, I don't know how he can be taken from the match of the night. I, you know, moving towards the main event. I just think at the end of the day, how can anyone? I think that match is so overlooked as a, a good match. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you look at Mania 12, Sean and Brett in the first Iron Man match. If you look at the three Rock and Austin matches, mm-hmm. think of iconic matches. 18 versus uh, Rock and Hogan. Uh, Rock and Cena. Um, any of John and Punk's matches, John and Orton's matches. You know, there's certain matches that you always think about as, you know, that was the match of that feud. Or that was, you know, maybe the match of all time. Or that match had the best story. 
Well, I just think it's very overlooked that the two greatest WWF wrestlers of all time didn't have a match at SummerSlam, didn't have a match on Raw, they didn't have a match at the Royal Rumble. They had a match at WrestleMania. It's the most important show of the year. Mm-hmm. And how many times do we have a main event for the title at Mania and it's not the match of the year? It's not in the top five category of the year. We just did our award show and the match of the year, the the title match from uh, Mania wasn't even considered. Probably right. didn't even make the top ten. No. Top 20. <laughs> Well, that match got match. booed out of the building. I don't know why it was a good match. It, just, it was a good match. It just didn't make the top the top ten. It might if we actually went down to twenty, it may be it might crack fifteen to twenty, but it's not up there. But it was a good match. But at the end of the day, it's one of those things. Sean and Austin, you know, Sean that hurt the last match you thought Sean would ever have. Sean out of the ring for four years. It's classic. Mm-hmm. And another thing with that match is, I'm glad they actually put over that he was hurt and how much pain he was in. Says so because. When you just watch that match, you like you might not you probably be like oh this match isn't that wasn't that great, but just them telling you how hurt he was enhances the match. And they even talked about his effort throughout mm-hmm. the match. Yeah, you could see there were times when he could barely walk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's get to it now because I can't wait to yeah, talk about. It. Okay. So Stone Cold Steve Austin, the guy who, as he likes to say, had the uh, the rocket strapped to his back, uh, was firing straight up. They p- Put that rocket straight on my back and shoot me straight to the top. <laughs> he had HBK, who had been on top for a long time. Uh, I don't know if at that at that point he was widely regarded as the greatest in-ring performer of all time, but he was definitely up there. He was definitely very well respected, despite the fact that he had a lot of uh, personal issues that people always like to talk about. Um, yeah, we all get this. Yeah, well, we had Mike Tyson brought in as the special enforcer. Xbox stole his music. Yeah, <laughs> did he? Yeah. I didn't even notice that. Um, that was one of the biggest moments in WWF history, was them getting Mike Tyson to show up on yeah. Raw. Like, it ended up on actual news. Yeah, and Eric Bischoff's like, oh, we got, they got us. <laughs> yeah, Tyson shows up, the baddest man on the planet. Uh, he was like a huge... Huge star at the time. Did he lose yet at this point? He had lost. He, yes. he had just lost the title. Mm-hmm. He lose the title. He got stripped of the title. He had lost. He had lost to Evander Holyfield okay. already. This was when he was kind of going through like a like a serious downward spiral mm-hmm. in boxing. Um, I think this was probably even after he bit Holyfield's ear off. I yeah, don't know it was. for sure. I think it okay, was. so he, he had lost his title to Holyfield and then lost the rematch. Got disqualified for legitimately biting another human being's ear off, um, but he was a huge star. Like he was a household name. He was the baddest man on the. Yeah, planet. there's not many people alive at that time who did not know who Mike Tyson was. Like that was almost 100 percent name recognition, and he brought like a lot to that. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things is that promo he did with DX. You heartbreak, <laughs> me heartbreak. Like did him just calling him heartbreak. I thought it was great. Um, he showed up wearing basically from the waist down. He was dressed like Roman Reigns, <laughs> with the uh, black tactical pants and the tactical boots. Bow out. <laughs> yeah, he might as well have came in from the crowd. Oh man. <laughs> um, the crowd absolutely. That was style back then. Yeah, don't remember. Yeah, it was. Uh, the crowd absolutely erupted when the glass shattered and Stone Cold came out, and I kind of miss. Seeing reactions like that, because you don't get them anymore. And is there anyone either of you could think of currently that could garner a pop like that? No. 
Austin coming back. Yeah, that that probably would be it. Now, uh, current everyday or the, or the roster. Is there anybody who could walk out at the Royal Rumble and get that? Maybe AJ ovation. Styles will during his. Oh, Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle, if he's coming back, but he's not coming back for the Rumble. For Rumble. <laughs> but, yeah, but will it be as loud as that Austin pop? I don't know if it would be that. I I think current day. I, I think AJ kind of he's getting there. If he gets there, I'll be really impressed. Because you I, also I just, have that I just think segment. He's the loudest pop of the whole roster. He is, but there's still that segment of the fan base that just buys into him being a heel and won't cheer for him. Whereas every single person in that arena was rooting for uh, Austin. You know what? Daniel Bryan was getting to that point. Yeah, he was. Like WrestleMania 30 era. Um, like I still talk about when he turned on Bray Wyatt. That crowd reaction. When he turned, when he was on top of the cage doing the yes chant, like everybody in that place was on the same page. Um, yeah, unfortunately, and this is something I actually feel bad for HBK about, is he carried that company for probably the three, four years prior to that. And just when they were about to like hit it big, he wasn't a part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't viewed as a part of it. Like at that point, the fans did not seem to like HBK nearly as much yeah. as they probably should have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you could see the pain on his face when he was going through this match. You could tell that he was like pushing himself you could tell just to that, get through it. By the time it. they counted that three, he was in pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Austin, obviously being Austin, uh, wins it with a stone cold stunner after a missed super kick, which actually looked like HBK could barely even get his leg up that high. Yeah. Um, hits the stunner, one two three. Mike Tyson does the you know the kind of fast count. Mm-hmm. H- it was almost one of the most classic you know uh, switch the music um, counters in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he goes for the stunner. HBK kind of reverses it, it and then gets spun around. Yeah, and takes it anyway. Like I said, Tyson makes the count. He's holding Austin's arm up. HBK takes exception to it. Gets in uh, Tyson's face. You get the classic right hand from Tyson. Jar Tyson, Tyson, Tyson. <laughs> Damn, guys, <laughs> Michael's out cold with the Austin 316 shirt over his face. Uh, Austin given the belt the last night of the Winged Eagle. The blue strap with the Attitude Era belt, the Big Eagle was debuted the following night. Uh, a new incarnation, as we mentioned already, of Degeneration X debuted the next night. No, Alo. A- any more thoughts on this match? Yeah, I got a lot of thoughts. Um, I just mentioned in the le- but the Undertaker and Kane match how they're uh, how this show had icon well, things you will always remember, and I, the whole walk from the locker room to the ring mm-hmm. because you you will hear when you heard about the stories about how Mi- how Michaels couldn't even dress himself. Yeah. Triple H had to lace his boots. He had to, mm-hmm. they had to help him pull his tights up, things like that. Just the, I always like those walks to the ring. It's been the poor matches. NXT did it for a little bit. Yeah, they haven't done it in a while. But even just Michaels doing his entrance, mm-hmm. the, his whole entrance. Well, he just he was walking, went to the ring. He did his entire entrance. So just that is an iconic moment. Yeah, the jumped wa- up on the little stage and high five the lead singer. Yeah, 
just just those just those little tiny things are so iconic. The walk to the ring, the entire post, the entire entrance was perfect. I think this was his first match actually wrestling since the Royal Rumble. I think I could be I could be mis I could be wrong, but I think it is because I know I, at that No Way Out '98 that he he was supposed to be in an eight man tag team match, but he didn't he didn't wrestle. Salvio Vega replaced him. Because, what a replacement! <laughs> that's what I said, Salvio <laughs> Vega. They replaced him. They, Triple H had a hell of a promo before that match. Because it was simply Triple, Triple mm-hmm. H and the Outlaws and Michaels against I think Austin. I'm not sure if it was was it Owen too. Owen. Austin. And Cactus Jack and Chainsaw. Yeah, and Chainsaw Charlie. Yeah, but uh, Michaels didn't show up for that match. So I think I believe this was his first one back. But the performance he put on this match was shows you why he is the greatest of all time. Because yeah. you could see every spot that he was cringing in because he was in so much pain. And he com- couldn't even put the figure four on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm saying that, I have that in my notes too. He couldn't put the figure <laughs> four. He held the ropes for leverage, mm-hmm. but you could tell even he did that he was in so much pain. It was even a, even there. That was one of the iconic moments you would notice that he was in more a lot of pain. And the second one is when he went to the top ropes and dropped that elbow. Mm-hmm. He just sucked it up and just did it. It wasn't the yeah. clear, his cleanest elbow, but you could see clearly when he just sucked it up and just dropped the elbow. Mm-hmm. Mike Kyoto, a better bump than Earl Hebner. <laughs> that was Earl Hebner. Earl Hebner would have been out shaking and hallucinating on the outside of the floor. But this match kind of solidifies why Shawn Michaels is considered the greatest performer of all time. Considered or is, but either way. Yeah, I agree. Eck, any any more thoughts on this match? I think it's a underrated match. If you are listening to this and you haven't watched that match back in quite some time, if you've never seen that match, or if you haven't seen it since 1998, go back and watch it. Give and, a second look. Yeah, and just and just understand what this guy went through. Just don't listen to you 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 only supposed to listen to this podcast. Don't, don't listen to Jim Cornette. Yeah, don't listen to Jim Cornette. Don't listen to Austin. Don't listen to Jericho. Just Google it and figure uh, out what this guy went through to, to just to, just to put on this match. It was it was his last match for four years, but just the just the pain this guy went through to deliver in this match and actually have this match is incredible. Yeah, I also feel like, now obviously, you hear any wrestler interviewed asked, who do you think is the greatest in-ring performer of all time? Almost all of them say HBK at this point, so he does get credit as far as that's concerned. But he gets so much crap for you know his attitude and all these things like that. I think this is something he should be getting a lot of credit for. Like He went out there, he did the job for Austin. I thought made Austin look good. Um, and kind of set him up for the run that he was about to go on. And you got to also think before before Austin. Austin's not the biggest guy in the world. You got to understand, Michaels. All his matches were against giants. He was his last match before that. You know, it wasn't a clean finish, but he beat Undertaker. Mm-hmm. He was having matches against Vader, against Psycho Sid. He, you know, he was always battling someone bigger than him. Yeah, and this match, I think. It's weird because so I think Austin going over it's just more proof that you know it just made Austin look strong. Yeah, and I think th- part of the credit that I think he deserves is he set up the guy who would help the company take off, knowing he wasn't going to be there for it. Like he didn't know he was coming back in four years. He mm-hmm. thought he was probably done at that point. Um, so yeah, I think he deserves a lot of credit. Again, I agree with you guys. That's a match that does not qu- quite get the uh, accolades it deserves. I thought it was a good main event. Like we said, it set up the future of WWE for the next two to three years. And then ultimately, we got HBK back in 2002. 
Uh, but the whole company was different the next night. It was just a different WWF the next uh-huh. night. Triple H. Beginning of the attitude era for sure. Yeah. I make the decisions. <laughs> you look to your blood. <laughs> you look to the click. <laughs> and Sean Waltman comes out as X Pac uh, tells Eric Bischoff to put that in his pipe and smoke it. I don't know why I remember that line so specifically. Like we said we got the the Road Dog and Billy Gunn in DX. So I thought this was a great WrestleMania. I think it's a very memorable WrestleMania. Like Alo said, very memorable moments. Um, I don't know. Any last thoughts anybody has on on this or anything about that happened in the aftermath of it? Again, may, if you haven't seen it, give it a look. It might not be the greatest show, but it's an iconic show. Mm-hmm. And you remember there are things you will remember watching this show. Yeah. And I think from the brief preview of seeing uh, Mania 15 in Philly, uh, it definitely is better than I remember because Mania 15 already seems terrible from just the first time. <laughs> the Brawl for All? Oh, wow. Who was it? Bart Gunn? And, yeah, Bart Butter Gunn Bean and Butterbean. Butter Bean. Yeah. Another great, ingenious decision by Vince Russo. Uh, but that is the WrestleMania 14 Throwback Madness Road to WrestleMania. We will be back with another old WrestleMania being reviewed. We won't reveal which one it is just yet. You'll have to tune in to find out. Uh, for Ek2Fly, Eric Trembicki, for Mr. Wednesday Night Live, the voice that runs the place, the European champion, Alo Aaron Lloyd. I'm about to start writing this down for you. I know. I'm, I'm forgetting. I think between you and now Donovan having 100 nicknames. <laughs> I can't keep with them. seven names. <laughs> yeah. Besides their government. If Andrew yeah. and Christian are brothers, then me and him are cousins. <laughs> that works for me. Uh, yes, but for my two good friends, I am Ron Pashery, and we will see you next time. Talking all the day, talking all the day. Hop on the top rope, by the land with his elbow. Got him now, put him down right now, hit him with the palm handle. Tuning up the band, y'all don't understand. Fist of Superman, it's a summer slam. Here we go again. Fans mocking man, man, I hate my balls. Shut the mission, man. It ain't safe to land off the cell. Fans love it, ain't hard to tell. Talking madness, awesome. Well, what I'm cooking, man, y'all off the smell.